first of our readings tonight is from Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. It says on the screen, page 975. Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had with you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So for the second reading tonight, let's uh, look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 15, page 960. So Matthew 6, verses 5 to 15. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to our Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. 
What's the secret to knowing how to pray? It's simply this, realising who you are praying to. We saw last week that Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray and the key, according to Jesus, is to know who it is you're praying to. It's to our Father in heaven. Because you know he's your Father, our Father, you will pray and you'll pray with confidence. You won't use any tricks. You won't need to use fancy words or a ritual. You'll simply ask. Because you know it's your Father in heaven whom you're praying to, you know he's powerful, that he can answer your prayers. And you'll pray for his agenda. He's the Father in heaven who rules the world, who made the world. The world is for his purposes. And so you pray for him and his purposes. Your name, your kingdom, your will. But how do you pray for us? That's what Jesus comes to tonight. Do you see there in the prayer, it's your name, your kingdom, your will. And then from verse 11, give us, forgive us, and lead us. As Jesus turns from praying for the Father's will to praying for us, how are we to pray for us. Let's have a look at it from verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Our Father in heaven knows what we need. He knows how to give good gifts to his children and every morsel of bread you have ever eaten has come from your Father in heaven. Not from Coles, not from Woolworths, not from your bread maker and not from your parents. Ultimately it comes from him. He feeds the birds of the air, says Jesus. He feeds you too. And every day you are dependent upon him. So how does a disciple pray? Give us today our daily bread. Is that how you pray? When was the last time you actually asked him for your basic daily needs? I hope you still have that old-fashioned ritual of thanking God for the food before you eat it. Many of us have grown up in families, I hope, like that. Those of us where the kids are no longer there to eat with you, do you still do it when it's just the two of you? Please do, because we're reminding each other and ourselves that our daily bread comes from him. Young people, when you eat without the oldies there, do you thank God for the food? Or do we somehow think that we earn our daily bread, that we deserve our daily bread, and we can move on to praying for our wants and assume our needs? But I want to ask tonight, do you really think 
that in the midst of this prayer, as Jesus is teaching people how to pray, that he really means, give us today our daily bread. Think about the prayer for a moment. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The big agenda of God's world that we're to pray for. And then he suddenly jumps to give us today our daily bread. Is there something jarring about that? It seems to me that the context suggests that maybe he's saying pray for something bigger. The other thing is that this word here that's always translated daily by our English translation probably doesn't actually mean daily. This is a very rare word. In fact, this is the only time in any of the literature we've got from the ancient world that this word occurs. It is unique. And how do you work out the meaning of a word when it is unique? Assume you don't have a dictionary, which we don't, and there's no other time that it's used. What hope have you got of working it out? Well, there's the context, like I said, and then there's the bits in the word itself. Words are made up of bits, aren't they? And you can only look at the bits that are in the word to see where the word might have came from and what it means. So this week I made up a word to share with you and see if you can work out what it means. It's got two parts. Election-itis. Can you work it out? Election. You know what that means, don't you? And itis at the end of the word means an inflammation or irritation resulting from the first part. Do you know what the word means? You do. So it is with this word. They look at what the bits of the word are in the original Greek and so try and guess, work out what the word means because that's all you've got to go on. And the word is not daily, something that happens each day, but it's closely related to the word for tomorrow. So Jesus is saying here, give us today tomorrow's bread. Now you can see why they don't translate it that way because it seems very strange, doesn't it? Can you imagine popping down to Currajong Bakery down here, asking them at the checkout and saying, hello, I'd like to buy tomorrow's bread, please. And they'll say to you, look, I can sell you yesterday's bread. It'll be great for the ducks. I can sell you today's bread. It's fresh. But I can't sell you tomorrow's bread until tomorrow. What does Jesus mean? In the Bible, bread is an ordinary thing, but a powerful symbol. Just back a couple of chapters in Matthew 4, Jesus is hungry. The devil comes to him and says, turn this stone into bread. Simple enough. Why not? But Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's a symbol for depending upon God's provision. For in the desert in the Old Testament, on their way to the promised land, every day, daily, God provided them with bread, with manna. Every day they would go out to get it. It was from God. Could they collect tomorrow's bread? No. They must collect enough for one day and wait and trust God for the next day. If they collected too much, it would go rotten, except on one day of the week. 
For on the day before the Sabbath, they were to collect tomorrow's bread. For they weren't to go out on the Sabbath, they were to rest. They were to enjoy God's presence. They were to rest and look forward to the promised land, the land of rest on the Sabbath. And so they collected the tomorrow's bread for the Sabbath. As the Old Testament proceeded in Isaiah 25, it was not just bread that God would give, but a great feast where death itself would be destroyed and they would gather together and eat. Jesus fed the crowd in the desert. The crowd followed him because they wanted more bread. And he told them, do not work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Give us this bread, they said. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life, who gives life to the world. Just before he died, he offered them bread to his disciples. He said, this is my body given for you. How are his disciples to pray? Give us today tomorrow's bread. Our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done, and give us today tomorrow's bread so that we have a share in it. Do you see? It fits the context. It's the prayer. We're praying for God's kingdom to come. And what do we pray for us? That we get in it. We need the bread, tomorrow's bread, so that we share in the kingdom. And what is tomorrow's bread? It's standing in front of them. He's standing in front of them. The bread is Jesus himself. Father, give us Jesus. For it's only by him we will enter into eternal life, into the kingdom. Have you asked God for the bread of heaven, for tomorrow's bread? Do you go on asking for that? It's so easy, isn't it, to forget to pray for our daily bread, our practical needs each day, because we take it for granted and we don't thank him. Even worse, I think, we take for granted tomorrow's bread. We think we deserve a place in Jesus' kingdom. We don't keep on asking him for that great privilege. But Jesus says to pray, give us today tomorrow's bread. Give us a share in your kingdom, Father. For we know that it's always a gift. Do you see that word? Give us today tomorrow's bread and the bread is jesus how do disciples pray give us today tomorrow's bread is this how you pray verse 12 forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors i think almost everyone knows that they need forgiveness to enter God's kingdom. I've only ever met one person in my life who told me they'd never done anything on purpose to hurt anyone. I was speechless, didn't know what to say. Most of us think that we have our bad, 
but our good will outweigh our bad. I met with someone this week and I asked him, look, if you died tonight and you stood before God and he said, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? The man said, I've done good in my life. I've tried to help people. And he was really hoping that God would remember his good. But have a look at the prayer. Jesus did not teach us to pray, Father, remember our good, did he? As if that would help. It will not. Jesus told us to pray, forgive us our debts. That word is a surprise to us, isn't it? We're expecting him to say, forgive us our sins. And it does mean sins. You can tell because that's what he says in verse 14. But sin is a debt. It creates a debt. Our debt. Imagine after the service tonight we have supper and then whilst you're heading out to your cars, I get out there and I bring out my keys and I pick out the newest car, the best looking one, and I get my key and I scratch it all the way down the side. I key your car. I sin against you in that way. Have I got a debt to pay? You bet I do. Even if I say sorry to you and you say that's okay, I still have a debt, don't I? Someone's got to pay. We say that about criminals who's been in prison. They've done their time. They come out and we say that they've paid their debt to society. Sin always creates a debt towards God. We owe him. And every debt, every debt must be paid. For he's our father in heaven and his kingdom will come when he will call in every debt and every sin will be punished. Who then will enter his kingdom? Only those whose debts have already been paid. Is there any hope of that having happened? Yes, but Jesus is the bread of life. And he gave the bread and the wine as a symbol of his body and his blood that would bring forgiveness of sins. The debt has been paid for those who say, forgive us our debts. Have you prayed that? Is that your prayer? Is that your prayer again and again? I think often when we do something wrong, when we know that we have sinned against someone and so therefore against God, we feel bad for a while, don't we? And then we get over it and get busy with something else. And we often don't actually say, forgive me, Father. Is that true to your experience? Well, sometimes we simply ignore that we've done the wrong thing. We don't want to think about it. We get defensive about it and we don't actually come anywhere near saying to God, forgive me. Or sometimes we just think, well, that was a bad day, wasn't it? Hopefully I'll do better tomorrow. Now, Jesus said, pray this, forgive us our debt. 
gifts. And we mustn't think that somehow our apology to God deals with the debt. It doesn't. It's just an apology. The debt is paid by Jesus. And we must keep on being thankful for that. How does a disciple pray? A disciple keeps on praying, forgive us our debts. The second half of the verse is even more challenging, isn't it? Verse 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The the disciples' prayer is basically six requests, six petitions. But this is the only one that seems to have a condition. Did you notice that? It's not that you earn forgiveness. Let's be clear about that. The word is not because we forgive others our debts. You can't earn forgiveness. It's just impossible. The word is as. The two things go together. But it is very strong, isn't it, verse 15? Do you see that there? If you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Does Jesus really mean that? Well, forgiveness is difficult. It's difficult to understand and it's difficult to do. So we need to realize that forgiveness, forgiving someone, is not the same as forgetting what they've done. It is not forgive and forget. You can't forget. Forgiveness is not saying the bad thing that was done to you or to someone else is somehow now okay that you have to feel okay about it. Forgiveness is not saying there are now no consequences for the perpetrator. Often there are. And forgiveness is something that you can't really do when the other person refuses to repent. Forgiveness is difficult to understand and we have confused ideas about it as Christians. But it is even more difficult to do. For sin is real, it is painful, and it leads a debt. And forgiveness is to no longer hold on to that debt. It is to absorb the pain. It is to leave it at the cross where Jesus paid for it, if it's by a Christian. It is to wait for God to punish the debt when Jesus returns, if it's from a non-Christian. It is to love your enemies even when they remain your enemies. And forgiveness often takes time. Forgiveness is difficult to understand and it's even more difficult to do. But yes, Jesus means what he says. This is part of being a disciple. Jesus said your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees. It must be maximum application. It must change your life. And one of those ways is that you forgive others. For you've been forgiven by Christ, so you will forgive others. If you will not forgive, it shows that you have not been forgiven yourself. That's the point of the parable that we read tonight, isn't it? So A servant is forgiven a great debt of $10 million. Forgive me, he says. And the master does. And immediately he refuses to forgive the debt of a fellow servant of $10. And the master is furious. And he cancels the forgiveness. For if we will not forgive, it shows that we have not been forgiven. 
the stakes here are very high, aren't they? So how does a disciple live? We forgive our debtors. Is there someone you need to forgive? To no longer hold on to that debt? Someone you need to learn to love, even though they're your enemy? Do you need help to understand what forgiveness means? Do you need someone to pray with you that you would change? Then tonight would be the night to seek someone's help. The stakes are high. When you know you have a Father in heaven, you pray for his name, for his kingdom and his will. And how do you pray for us? Give us today tomorrow's bread. Forgive us our debts. And finally, verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Verse 13 is quite confusing, isn't it? Why would you need to pray this? Our Father in heaven knows how to give good gifts to us. Would he lead us into temptation? Would he want us to sin? James 1 says that God does not tempt anyone. No, he doesn't want us to sin. So it's helpful to realize that this word here that's usually translated temptation here for some reason, almost always through the rest of the New Testament is translated as testing because that's what the word usually means. It is not lead us into temptation where you are tempted and enticed to do something. It is lead us into testing, into difficulty, into affliction, where you are tested to see how you respond, where you are tested and refined so that you mature. Would God do that? Does God lead us into testing to see how we will respond and to mature us as Christians? Oh, yes, he does. Genesis 22, he tested Abraham. Deuteronomy 8, he says he, he tested the whole people of Israel as he caused them to hunger and then fed them with manna. Matthew 4, he tests his own son in the desert. And what about us? James 1, he gives us trials that our faith would be tested and we would become mature. Have you experienced trials in your life? There are the little trials like children who can do up their shoelaces but simply refuse to do it. But there are the big trials of life, aren't there? If your business were to fail and you lost your house as a result, if your child were to die, if your spouse was to betray you, or if your spouse suddenly died, there is a trial indeed. And they are very real for all those things that have happened to people in our church. And they test us. They are horrible. Many of them involve evil perpetrated by others. 
but God uses them to test us. That we might honour his name by trusting him. God leads us into testing. So why then does Jesus teach us to pray, lead us not into testing? Well, quite simply, because testing is not good, is it? We don't actually want testing. Jesus didn't want to be tested by his disciples betraying him, by him being beaten and by him dying on the cross. He was keen for that not to happen. And when we look forward to heaven, we're not a little disappointed by the prospect because there will be no testing there. Do you see? Testing is bad. And Jesus says here, it's okay not to want it, to pray that it will not happen. When you see some of those awful things happen to others, it's okay to pray, Lord, please don't lead me there. But the bigger reason, I think, that we would pray to lead us not into testing is that we know our weakness. When we are tested, we will be tempted, but not by God, but by our own evil desires. And if you know your own heart, then of course you will pray, Lord, lead me not into testing, for I know my own weakness. I do not want to dishonor your name. I might well fall if you test me. Lord, lead me not into testing. And not just my own weakness, but the evil one, for I know he is strong. Lead us not into testing, but deliver us from the evil one. That's how a disciple prays. Is that how you pray? Or do you expect your life to go well, swimmingly, and you're very shocked when it doesn't? Or on the other hand, are you gung-ho and confident? You don't want difficulty, but you don't think there's any need to pray that it won't happen because you'll get through it, unlike other people. Do you know your own weakness? And so you pray regularly, lead me not into testing. All of us have those weak points, I think where we think, yes, I could fail in that way. We hear of someone else failing, of giving in to temptation, and we know that's our weak point. And so we might just pray, lead me not into testing, Lord. Deliver me from the evil one. But most of us have areas where we think we are strong. We hear of others failing with that sin, and we think, oh, I'd never do that. Paul says, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. I hope you pray, verse 13, for every area of your life. For we are weak in every area when it comes to temptation. And the evil one is strong. What's the secret to knowing how to pray? It's simply this knowing who it is you're praying to. He is our Father in heaven. And when you realize that, you'll want to pray because he lets you call him Father. 
and he's powerful to answer your prayers and knows what you need before you ask him and knows how to give good gifts. And so you'll go ahead and you'll simply ask. And when you know he's your father in heaven, you'll pray for his agenda, his name, his kingdom, his will. And that'll even affect how you pray for you and for other Christians. Give us today our daily bread. Yes, pray for your daily needs. But there's something bigger than that. Give us today tomorrow's bread. Give us Jesus so we enter into your kingdom. Forgive us our debts, for without that we are done for. And lead us not into testing, but deliver us from the evil one, for we are weak and we need your strength. This is how disciples pray. Is this how you pray? Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that we can call you Father that you know what we need and love to answer our prayers. Father, we long for our prayers to be like Jesus taught them to be, that we would pray for your agenda above our own, your name, your kingdom, your will. Father, bring these to pass. And Father, as we pray for us, not just me, but us. Help us to pray as Jesus taught us. Give us a gift, the gift we pray, of tomorrow's bread, Jesus himself, that we might enter into your kingdom. Help us to keep on praying and asking for this gift. Help us to pray and not just think it or assume it, Help us to pray, forgive us our debts. And Father, help us to know what it means and give us the grace to forgive others. And finally, Father, you know how weak we are. And so, Father, we ask that you would lead us not into testing any testing that would be beyond what we can bear. But, Father, please deliver us from the evil. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.